Life Audio. Welcome to the Real Refreshment Podcast. Join us as we dive into motherhood at the foot of the throne with your host, Rachel Carmen. If you are tired, overwhelmed, and feeling alone, this is the place for you. A place for real moms with real stories, seeking real refreshment found only in the living God. Take a minute to visit rachelcarmen.com and join the community of Real Refreshment listeners who are taking the dare to be in the Word as a top priority in the journey of motherhood. All right, let's kick off this latest episode of the Real Refreshment Podcast. Here's your host, Rachel Carmen. Welcome back, everyone. We're continuing our study of the life of Peter today with his cocky phase. I will pick up there when we come back. In the past decade, the Action Bible has helped millions of kids across the world better understand the stories of the Bible. Through vivid illustrations and fast-paced stories, children have engaged in God's Word like never before. Now, in 2024, there's a new edition, the Faith in Action Edition with enhanced features. The Action Bible Faith in Action Edition has a new color design, 230 Bible stories and digital resources that help kids grow in the knowledge of God's Word. These resources include hundreds of devotional prayers, timelines, maps, Bible facts, teaching videos, activities, and more. Additionally, kids will learn about seven major themes of the Bible. These themes include courage, faith, hope, love, service, trust, and wisdom. The Faith in Action Edition is the most complete illustrated Bible for kids. You can purchase your copy today of the Action Bible Faith in Action Edition at Sam's Club, Barnes & Noble, ChristianBook.com, or wherever books are sold. Hey friend, I'm Brooke McLaughlin, host of the Everyday Prayers Podcast, a ministry of million praying moms. And I'm here to invite you to partner with God for the hearts of your children on the daily. Our goal at Everyday Prayers is to help moms understand and pray God's Word. Join us each weekday as we share insights from God's Word for today's Christian mom. Tune in to the Everyday Prayers Podcast in your favorite app or by visiting lifeaudio.com. All right. Last time I kicked off a brand new study of the life of the disciple Peter, one of my favorite characters in the Bible. I've been wanting to do this for a long time, and I told you last time that I know that this is imperfect, but if I didn't go ahead and share with you what I'm already learning, I was never going to get this done. And so with fear and trepidation, I am sharing with you where I am in this study of this man's life. And it has been such a source of encouragement to me. And I hope that it is for you also as we see Peter progress through his life. He's on a journey. And one of the really outstanding things about Peter is he doesn't waller anywhere. He literally keeps moving. And that is a testimony to the work of the Holy Spirit in his heart, mind, and soul. And that's what I want to be true for me. And that's what I want to be true for you. I want to encourage you, if not dare you, to continue to progress. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this study. And again, I know that if I waited till I had it all perfectly worked out, uh, we would never have this conversation. So I'm just saying at the outset that it is a work in progress, but I wanted to share it with you. There is so much on my notes page here that I'm sure we won't get to. 
but I do want to get to as much as we can. So just to review, last time we started the series with Peter and we talked about where he started, I'm saying that his life is in five movements. So the first one we talked about last time is he was just super curious about who Jesus was. And we talked about the fact that Peter followed, he witnessed, and he walked. And today we're going to talk about cocky Peter and how he became arrogant and what seemed to turn him into that and where do we see that examples of that cockiness. And then we have three more uh, discussions after this. After cocky, we're going to talk about Peter confused, then Peter changed, and then Peter confident. So that's the story arc we're looking at. And again, I hope that you find it to be an encouragement. I hope you can see yourself in some of these moments that we've already discussed and perhaps some of the ones we'll discuss today as you consider that God has given us His Word for our encouragement and our admonition and for our inspiration. So we're going to pick up the story today. We left off the story in the last episode when Jesus was teaching to the Jews, and some of the things that He was saying they were grumbling against and they found very difficult to embrace. And in fact, it was so serious that many of His disciples, Scripture says, no longer followed Him. And we see Jesus then turn to the 12 and say, so what about you? What say you? What are you going to do? Are you going to keep following me or is this too hard? And we see Peter at this moment say, where will we go? You have the words of life. And so it's so powerful to see it's sort of the highlight of his curiosity. He's seen everything that Jesus has done and he's like, no, yeah, you really are Messiah. Andrew said that he had found you. I have seen what you have done and what you have taught, and that's who you are. So I want to suggest, though, there's a turn in the road here. We're going to pick up today at the feeding of the 4,000. You can find that in both Matthew and Mark, Matthew 15, 32 through 38, and Mark 8, 1 through 10, and you have a second incidence where there's a mass of people, turns out they're hungry like the other mass of people, and once again, Jesus feeds the crowds, and once again, he takes, breaks, blesses, and multiplies to feed them. Everyone is satisfied. And the disciples, again, participate with Jesus in this miracle. He does the multiplying, but he gives the multiplied loaves to the disciples who disperse them to the crowd. And so it's just remarkable. In the feeding of the 5,000, they take up 12 baskets full of leftovers. I mean, let that sit on you. It's not that everybody had a ration. Scripture tells us that they were all satisfied. And in this instance... In the um, feeding of the 4,000, it says, again, they all ate and were satisfied, and they picked up seven large baskets of leftovers. So that just is a testimony to God is more than enough for every need that we have beyond what we could ask or imagine. We see that here in this story. So right after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus heals an unnamed blind man that comes to him in Mark 8, 22 through 26. And then we get Jesus after that healing. He's going along with his disciples, picking up in verse 27 of chapter 8 of Mark. 
He's going along with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on his way, he questioned his disciples. And he says to them, so, who do the people say I am? So, a great study to do, and perhaps we'll do this at some point on this podcast. I would love to do this. Is just discussing and studying the various questions that Jesus asked throughout the gospel narratives. There are a ton of questions that Jesus asked, and they're really worth our contemplation. So here's one of them. Who do the people say that I am? And the disciples responded saying, ah, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he continued by questioning them, and this is what he said, but who do you say I am? Okay, so it won't surprise you who answers him. In Mark, his Peter's answer is abbreviated, just you are the Christ. But if you go over to Matthew, when Jesus asks, but who do you say I am? In Matthew 16, 16, he It says, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So again, you know, where we left off last time, Peter was very clear. You are the Holy One. You have the words of life. And here, after the feeding of the 5,000, after the healing of the blind man, right? Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Peter is the first one to speak up. And he says, you are the Christ. And then in verse 30, it says, Jesus warned them to tell no one about him. But then in verse 31, we're in chapter 8 of Mark. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. Now, here's where we have a turn in the road. Already, we've seen Peter a little bit cockier than we saw him last time. This is what I'm asserting is that he's gaining a little arrogance. The feeding of the 5,000, been there, done that, seen that, happens a second time. The healing of the blind man, we already had healing of blind people. And Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Peter's like, you are the Christ. And then Jesus proceeds to say, okay, don't tell anybody that, but this is what you need to know. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be killed. And it says, if you pick up in verse 32 of chapter 8 of Mark, it says, Peter took Jesus aside. Now, now, now see the arrogance in this. Peter took Jesus aside. This isn't Jesus taking Peter aside. This is Peter taking Jesus aside. He has just declared that Jesus is the Christ, right? And he's taking the Christ aside. Listen to what Peter says to him. He began to rebuke him. Peter is rebuking Christ. Peter, who just confessed, you are the Christ, is now taking the Christ aside and rebuking him. If you go over to Matthew 16, 22, it says that Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, that this shall never happen to you. That is what Peter said to Jesus. He rebukes him for saying he's going to die. So Peter, who just answers Jesus' question very confidently, and I'm going to say a little arrogantly that he gets who Jesus is. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus proceeds 
to say, okay, yeah, don't tell anybody, but I need you to know something. I am going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer many things. The elders and the chief priests and the scribes, I will be killed, raised up on the third day. But Peter took him aside, it says, this is Matthew 16, and began to rebuke him saying, God forbid it, Lord, that this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your things on the mind of God's interest, but on man's. Do you see it? If you want to star and underline the personal interaction between Peter and Christ, this would be that moment. He's already had a couple of very personal moments with Jesus, right? But this is the one toe-to-toe with Jesus that Peter seems to understand to be the Christ, to be Messiah. And he's just taken him aside and said, yeah, no, that's never going to happen. And Jesus looks at him and he says, you get behind me because your focus is wrong. You're focused on man's will and not the will of God. Next, we see Jesus move right in to teaching. He says this to Peter, confronts Peter, and it does not say this in, in Scripture, but it says it doesn't say he turned, but in my mind's eye, he turns. Because in verse 24 of Matthew 16, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, He goes from rebuking Peter, having been taken aside by Peter, he goes from rebuking Peter, then he says to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Wow. Do you see the quick turn here? Peter's cocky. Yes, he stands and one, he confesses that Jesus is the Christ. But very quickly, as soon as Jesus foretells his death for the first time, he tells it three times in Mark, in Mark 8, 9, and 10. So that's your homework. You can find those three instances in the book of Mark where he foretells his death. Here at the first instant, Peter's like, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. May God forbid that from happen. And Jesus looks at Peter and he goes, Get behind me. Get behind me. Dude, you are not focused on the things of God. I need you to focus. And Jesus turns and he says this. Let me tell you what it means to be a disciple. It means you deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. From that rebuke of Jesus, from that outline of the cost of discipleship from Jesus, we go immediately into Mark 9 and the transfiguration of Jesus. So this is one of those instances where Jesus calls aside Peter, James, and John, the inner circle, and he takes them out up on the mount, and he is transfigured there. He's transfigured. And once again, who speaks up? Do you see the trend of all the disciples? Who speaks up? It's Peter. 
So here's Jesus with Moses and Elijah transfigured, right? And Peter goes, this is great. It is so great that we are here. Let me build tabernacles and let's just stay right here. Again, Peter's speaking before he's thinking. The other two, at least we don't have anything recorded that they said, right? Peter, Peter, but do you see this? This is beautiful if you can see it. This is Jesus affirming the confession that Peter made. Peter says, you are the Christ. And just a little while later, he's transfigured with Moses and with Elijah. It's as if Jesus is like, Peter, you got it right. Pay attention. And yet at least what we're given in terms of what Peter says, it doesn't sound like he's really paying attention. It is then after, if you look chronologically, after the transfiguration that we have two more times that Jesus foretells of his death, again, in Matthew 9 and 10. And then we have this beautiful thing that happens in Matthew 17, another personal moment between Jesus and Peter. So in Matthew 17, in picking up in verse 24, it says they came to Capernaum, and those who collected the two drachma tax came to Peter and says, does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax? So somebody, some people have come to Peter, and they're wanting to get the tax money from Jesus. And Peter's like, uh. So Peter says, yes. And he goes into the house, and Jesus said, To him first. So before Peter could ask Jesus about the tax, Jesus answers him. Do you see it? So before he could even say it, before he could even voice his concern, Jesus meets his answer. What do you take? What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll tax? From their sons or from strangers? Peter says, from strangers. Jesus said to him, then the sons are exempt. However, so that we do not offend them, go to the sea, throw in a hook, and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open the mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for you and for me. Do you see how personal this is? Peter is confronted with an issue, a problem. And before he can even communicate what the problem is, Jesus answers him and gives him a way to pay the tax doing something that Peter knows how to do. Peter knows how to fish. So he takes something that Peter knows how to do, but he works a miracle in that doing. And he provides, miraculously, this shekel to pay the tax, not just for Peter, but for Peter and Jesus. This is beautiful. See that on the heels of this very strong rebuke from Christ to Peter, get behind me, Satan. He allows Peter to witness his transfiguration. And in this moment with the drachma tax, he provides for Peter. He wants Peter to know, I see you. I see you. I know what your needs are. I know who you are. And we see this kindness of Jesus. We see this compassion of Jesus toward Peter. We see that Jesus understands that Peter is just a man. He's just human. He's not perfect. And Jesus meets Peter right where he is. So 
like in the first episode when we talked about all of these things that Peter witnessed in that curious phase, now between this issue of him having protested against Jesus for telling of his death and Jesus saying, this is what's got to happen, we see again Jesus show off to Peter. So we see the controversy of who's greatest in the kingdom in Matthew 18, 1 through 6. And we see Peter go to Jesus and ask about forgiveness. How many times do I have to forgive my brother? Peter asked Jesus. And we see Jesus very patiently answer Peter. We see all of the disciples go with Jesus to visit Mary and Martha. We see the raising of Lazarus, right? We see the story of blind Bartimaeus. And we see Jesus meet with Zacchaeus. We have more parables in Luke 15, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. And we see Jesus meet with the rich young ruler. You'll remember this young man who comes to Jesus, falls at his feet, and says, what must I do? What must I do? And Jesus says, well, you need to keep the commandments. And he says to Jesus, done that. Done that since I was a kid. Right? And you see Jesus interact with this young man. And he goes away sad because Jesus says, then you need to sell everything. This is the one thing that you haven't done that you need to do. You need to go sell everything and give it to the poor. And it says that the rich young ruler went away very sad because he had great riches. And then Jesus turns and says, "Mm, mm, how hard it is, how hard it is. And again, again, if you look in Luke 18, let me see if I can get there really quickly. It says in verse 23, but when he had heard these things, the rich young ruler, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They who heard it said, then who can be saved? But Jesus said, the things that are impossible with people are possible with God. Verse 28, who do you think is going to say something? If you're paying attention at all, there's a trend developing. Peter said, behold, we have left our own homes and followed you. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left houses or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times as much at the time and in the age to come eternal life. Peter is always saying something. He's always inserting his opinion. He's always speaking up. He's volunteering. He's asking questions. And I'm going to suggest to you Jesus welcomes that. That's what I want you to see in the life of Peter. I want you to see his humanity. I want you to see his rashness. I want you to see his immaturity. And I want you to see how Jesus responds to it. Because you and I have that too. You and I say things rashly. We say things out of anger. We say things out of frustration, right? And yes, Jesus did rebuke Peter. And that was an earned rebuke. But you can also see instances where Jesus turns very compassionately and answers him very directly and patiently and kindly. And I believe that you and I need to remember that Jesus does answer us that way. Then we also have 
it's time now for the triumphal entry. It's time now for Jesus to go to Jerusalem to come and fulfill why he came. We have the triumphal entry. Peter would have witnessed that. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Quickly after Jesus gets into Jerusalem, he goes and he cleanses the temple. This is the second time. The first cleansing was at the beginning of his ministry, which you can find over in John chapter 2. And now here's the second cleansing of the temple. And then Jesus sends John and Peter to go and prepare for the Passover in Luke 22, 8. And you can see there Jesus acting as a prophet. He tells them what they will find when they go in, and they find it just as he said they would. And then we come to this beautiful thing in John 13 where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And again, I have many favorite passages. This is definitely one of them. The washing of the disciples' feet is only included in John's gospel. It's right after the institution of the Lord's Supper. It says, picking up in verse 5, Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. So the washing of the feet was a very common cultural. It would have been expected that when you came into the house, right, that you would have had your feet washed because they only wore sandals and it was very stinky and smelly and dirty. So since they reclined to eat, the washing of the feet was necessitated with all the stinkiness and all the dirtiness. And yet, no one had been appointed to do this task. And instead of appointing one of the disciples to do this task, Jesus did it himself. So, we could sit in this passage alone for a really long time. So, Jesus came as our example of how to live and how to serve. And we see him seeing something here that needs to be done and just doing it. And I would suggest to you doing it really well and really thoroughly. And one thing I want you to notice, and we'll chase it another time, he washed all 12 disciples' feet. So he would have, according to John's narrative, washed Judas's feet before Judas left. So Jesus is washing their feet. Nobody stops him. Nobody says, no, 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 Jesus, let me get that. Not even Peter. Uh Uh-uh. So Jesus is washing their feet. And it says, so he came to Simon Peter, and he said to him, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, do you wash my feet? You know, it occurs to me when Peter says this, I'm just like, well, Peter, you didn't volunteer to wash his Right? So he says, Do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him and said, What I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, verse 8, Never shall you wash my feet. Okay, we, here we have him. Cocky Peter. Never. Never shall this happen. God forbid, he says about Jesus foretelling of his death. And here again, you would have thought that Peter learned something from the rebuke he got from Christ to begin, but apparently not. So Jesus is just going to wash his feet. And Peter goes, yeah, never shall you wash my feet. But Peter answers him, if I do not wash you, Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part of me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but my whole body. It's totally Peter. That is totally a Peter answer. Overboard, over the top, 
He goes from never to all in the span of just a few seconds, right? And then Jesus responds, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. He was referring to Judas. So here again, we have Jesus coming to Peter in this very personal, intimate moment. I don't know how many of you have ever had your feet washed in maybe a feet washing ceremony or in a ministry opportunity. It's really a more intimate thing than you might imagine. And here's Jesus kneeling to wash Peter's feet, and they have this interaction. Right after the feet are washed of the disciples, Jesus launches into a teaching. He dismisses Judas, saying, one of you will betray me. One of you is going to betray me. And it's like, oh, is it me? And in the moment when he says, one of you is going to betray me, and the disciples start saying, oh, goodness, is it me? You see this humility among them. They are so cognizant of their own fallenness, of their own weakness, that they're like, is it me? Is it me? And Judas goes. He goes. Therefore, it says in verse 31 of chapter 13 of John, when he had gone out, Judas, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews now, I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Chapter Verse 36, Simon Peter said. Again, I hope that you're seeing this through the whole narrative. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow later. And Peter said, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I go, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. I think it's important. There is literally a chapter break between verse 38 of chapter 13 and verse 1 of chapter 14, but I think we need to put those together. Right after Jesus tells and prophesies and predicts that Peter is going to deny him, he very quickly says, do not let your heart be troubled because he knows that this is necessary. He knows that Peter's going to do this. He knows Peter's going to falter, but he knows it's necessary. He knows it's necessary. So right in this moment, Peter has confessed Jesus as the Christ. He has protested against Jesus going to the cross. He has declared that he will lay down his life, and yet Jesus has predicted that Peter will deny him. 
I want to suggest to you that you and I can very easily be critical of Peter, but it would be very valuable for you and I to assess our own arrogance, our own cockiness. Are we more caught up in what we accomplish or are we more focused on what God can accomplish in and through us, what he has accomplished in and through us? But I, Because I would suggest to you that what God accomplished in and through the life of Peter was through his great humiliation and his weakness. And it's the same for you and me. I'm really enjoying this study. I'm really enjoying digging in and digging deeper. And I look forward to you joining me next time as we talk about Peter Confused. I don't know if that's where we're going to meet each other in this story arc of Peter, whether it's curious, cocky, confused, changed, or confident. But I would suggest to you there is much for us to learn here. We'll talk next time. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you have a question or comment, we invite you to send it to info at rachelcarmen.com. And while you're at Rachel's website, check out her wonderful resources, including the Word in Motion Bible Curriculum. We want to take a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. Moms, more than ever, we really do need each other. We need to be challenged, and we need accountability in the Word. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you in the next episode of The Real Refreshment Podcast. Jesus wants our fears to launch us toward faith. Then he grins and says, Do you trust me? Because together, we can do this. With Mornings with Jesus, you can start your day in a positive way. Find hope through inspirational stories and scripture. Go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Mornings with Jesus. You can also download the Abide app for biblical meditations at abide.com.